there's skill deficits that we hold. And then there's assumptions that we hold that we have to break through on both of those. We have to be able to up-level our skills and then trade up our assumptions to more productive ones in order to grow the business. Welcome, ladies, to the Real Estate Investor Show, providing inspiration, strategies, and insight to empower women investors to live balanced and financially free lives. Now, here are your co-hosts, Liz and Andressa. On today's episode, ladies, we have Layla Hermosi. She's an incredible entrepreneur, investor, and by age 31, her companies were producing over 200 million dollars per year. What I love about this episode, though, is that we really break down the secret of scaling and everything comes down to you (laughs) and the process of hiring. I think this is a must episode for everybody that is looking to build a sustainable business on their own terms. You cannot miss this. And she's very vulnerable, direct. If you're looking for a direct person and sweet at the same time, that's Layla. So enjoy this episode. Before we get into Layla's story, let's hear a word from our The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know a thing about how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a hospitality-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, Vacasa earns homeowners an average of 20% more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa is always thinking of ways to simplify the vacation home-owning experience by putting your home to work for you. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home, work with the reliable property manager, and finally have peace of mind, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. That's vacasa.com slash biggerpockets. Hey guys, it's Liz. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to remind you that time is running out and you have four weeks left to get your ticket to InvestorCon 2024, the number one premier conference for women in real estate. It's happening from June 2nd to 4th in Austin, Texas. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit investhercon.com today and use the code 100podcast to get $100 off your ticket. That's investhercon.com and use the promo code 100podcast to get $100 off your ticket sponsors. Welcome back, everyone. This is Liz. And this is Andressa. Welcome back to the Real Estate Investor Show. Our mission, our passion is to empower women to live a financially free and balanced life on their own terms, whatever that means to you, right, Andressa? We say that day day in and day out. And we're so honored to have Layla Hormozzi on our show today. We're so excited and honored to have you on today to share your journey which has been absolutely amazing and and phenomenal for so many different reasons that we're so excited to get into today on how you've scaled uh, and and built built processes and teams and done it with with your husband, Alex. So thank you so much for being here today. Oh, thank you, Liz. I really appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. So we always like to jump in quick, but I I just want to share a a couple of things about your your background and how, because your journey has been pretty amazing for up to 31 years old. And and not every 31-year-old can say the same of where they've been. So, you know, reaching 200 million, right, under the age of 31 or by age 31, it all started, you know, it all started when you were born, of course, but it all started, I want to share some facts because this really shows your journey in a nutshell. So 18, you got arrested six times for drinking. 19, you told yourself it's time to get your shit together. You lost 85 pounds and got sober. At 20, you landed an internship at a resort after getting your shit together. 
at 21, you graduated from WMU and moved out to California and landed a job at a gym. At 23, you quit your job and started your first business, Gym Launch, on a whim with Alex. At 23, you also sulked, I love this, sulked in the swamp of shit for 1.5 years while nothing worked and you had no money. 24, your business took off 1.5 years in and hit 27 million in year two. At 26, you started Prestige Labs, your supplement company to sell via your gym launch company. At 27, you started your software company, Elon, to sell via gym launch connected to the first one. At 28, you reached 100 million net worth while being the CEO of company one. And at 29, you sold all of your businesses and house and moved to Vegas. And at 29, you also made your first real piece of content. At 30, you started acquisition.com. And 31, you reached 200 million in your portfolio revenue and, and about 20 employees that you had. So that's a remarkable journey. What lesson has taken you the longest to learn? Ooh, what lesson has taken me the longest to learn? It's much harder to change your circumstances than it is your mind. I think that I am incredibly able and I'm able to influence people. I'm able to change a lot of circumstances given the nature of my position in business. Mm -hmm. And there was a time, I want to say when I was probably 27, where I felt like incredibly stressed because I, I realized that I had so much influence and I was able to change so many circumstances. And so every time I felt like something was getting out of control, like I was feeling anxious about something, like it wasn't going right. I would just massively insert myself to try and control whatever that situation was, which it worked for me more than it didn't, which is why I continued to do it. You know, it was the result of like what grew the company to a certain extent. But then it got to a point where I realized this can't be what the rest of my life looks like. At least like, I know that the things that are like, everything's going in the right direction, right? The businesses are growing. People are happy. It's a good culture, all these things. But like, I feel stressed all the time. And I realized that was because I was consistently trying to change situations rather than change my perspective on those situations. Mm -hmm. And so now I think I am so much better at business because my stress levels and my stress management, uh, my ability to cope with stress has increased so much, mostly because of my ability to accept it <laughs> um, and to accept yeah. circumstances outside of my control, to accept that even though I might feel like a very strong urge to do something about a situation, oftentimes it's better if I just wait. And I think that that took me the longest to figure out because I'm so able. And I think that when you are, you identify with being like a high performer, like very capable of a great doer, our default often when a problem arises or something stresses us out is to go fix it. But what I realized is that I was constantly chasing things to fix that ended up fixing themselves given enough time. And I think that that's what I really realized is you have to be able to identify, I like to say, is this a trash can fire or like is the whole house on fire? Mm. And I have really learned to let the small fires burn. They self-contain in the trash. Uh, if the house <laughs> is on fire, I'm going to jump in guns and blazing or not blazing. I'm going to, you know, hoses <laughs> on full blast. <laughs> but if it's a trash can, I'm going to deal with my own internal dialogue about that trash can and allow it to continue to burn because I realize I need to conserve resources of myself, my company, my team to that really big fire. And I think that has been the one that took me the longest because I knew it, but I, I wasn't, I didn't, hadn't actually learned it until I want to say around 27, 28. I think there's a process of unlearning, right? A lot of women that are listening can totally raise their hand and, and relate to this high function uh, women that jumps in to rescue. It could be little thing in the house to massive acquisition, 
We just go for it as if it is the same level. I, I really love the visual of a trash can burning and a house burning. And by by looking, like taking a step back to like take a deep breath. <laughs> In all the events that we do, we always start with a deep breath. Because yeah. many times women are just like shooting, 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 going for it. And they don't take the time to to stop. So when you look back at all the business that you have built and continue building, what you wish you knew then that you know now in order for you to be able to scale quickly? I wish I had known that many of the, quote, problems that I was facing were not problems at all. They were actually just features of business. So just like, uh, you know, I would say like, you know, we're born with like a certain color hair and eyes and nose. It's like when you have a business, it has these things that come with it. We don't like all of those things, but that doesn't mean that they're problems. And I think that I spent a lot of time in the beginning solving problems that didn't exist. They were what I like to call the downside to my upside. So a good example of that would be if there's a company and their absolute strength is marketing and they are amazing at marketing, they can acquire new customers on a whim. They're just like on every platform they've gotten on there but then they have pretty high churn on the back end and they're comparing their churn on the back end to companies that only do organic marketing or word of mouth or referrals and so they might be looking at their churn and saying gosh i'm at 6% and i need to get to 2% and this is a huge problem well i just look at that now and i say that's just the downside to your upside you're so good at marketing that it does create kind of this contention on the back end but at the same time that will occur naturally as you mature the department rather than it needs to be saying that you're attacking head on at all points in time. And so I think in the beginning, it feels like everything's a problem because oftentimes when your business is small, there's nothing in place. And so it seems like everything's a problem. Um, And I think that when I was younger, I used to feel like in a constant state of, I want to say like, um, not panic, but stress because I felt like I got like a high alert, right? Like PTSD type of deal. Yeah. And it took me time to realize that it's okay. Like it's okay if everything's not in place. It's okay if there are things that aren't perfect. It's okay if your churn's a little higher than somebody else's, like we'll fix it in due time. And I think that patience has been something that I've really learned uh, and honed in as a skill of mine is to just be patient, focus on the biggest constraint at this point in time and then move on to the next one once this one's fixed. One thing that I comes to my head is like women really trying to have a quote unquote perfect business before they start hiring people. It's like cleaning your house before the cleaning lady or a guy comes in to yeah. clean it, right? And then they get into this, this rabbit hole as if all the business had their shit together before they start building the team. And this, it's like a, a trap right? Mitt, you I, you can come and talk to any women in our community. They know that in order for them to live life on their own terms, then they need to let go of so many tasks that they are in charge of it. But they're not. And they're well-educated women. They, they did so many self-development courses and drinks and whatever you call it. They've done it. But they still don't build a team. Why do you think, what would you say to to that woman that can identify with that? I think it's all about expectations. You know, I think that often we expect people to be as good as us with 
no help. <laughs> um, and so when somebody does come in, you know, and maybe they don't hit the ground running, we just think, gosh, nobody can do this like me. And it's kind of like women who I see give up on dating. You know, they go on two bad dates and they say, guys suck. And I'm like, gosh, well, if that's a generalization, then that's the greatest one I've ever heard. You know, imagine if men said that about us. And so I think the same goes for business. Then people say, oh, teams suck. Ah, nobody can do it like me. It's like, well, what if you actually just don't have the skill of hiring and training? And so it's not the person, but it's you. And so I think that there's multiple levels of there's skill deficits that we hold. And then there's what I say, not beliefs, but assumptions that we hold that we have to break through on both of those. We have to be able to up-level our skills and then trade up our assumptions to more productive ones in order to grow the business. And often what I see is that people have these assumptions. I, I like to call it like the special snowflake assumption, which is like, Everyone always gives me a reason why their business specifically is one that they cannot hire and outsource these certain things that they're doing that are very magical. And it's this entire- For sure. I, My I, sister in Brazil you, tells me that all the time. And I was like, it's not It's not just there. She's yeah. like, oh, over here, this is- I was like, yeah, that's that's what we hear everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it, I think it's, it's lack of pattern recognition. You know, like the reason that I have the ability to look at a business a certain way is simply because I've seen- especially at this point, thousands and how they operate. And I really do truly believe that there's nobody that's that vital to a business. Like near, dang near everything can be given to somebody else if you put in the time. It's powerful. I'm, I'm thinking about the women listening, right? The skills that they have, we talk a lot about, like how do they leverage those skills, right? To, to, yeah. to grow their business. But what you're saying is also very powerful to say, okay, wh what don't I have that I need to develop? What, what would you say as, as a as someone who wants to scale? What is that? What are those skills that I'm listening to this and going, you know, I want to evaluate myself on someone who's going to scale their business. I need to have these three skills. Like what would be those critical skills that women listening be like, how am I on those? And, and, and where might I need to develop or outsource? I would say that the, the way that I typically would guide somebody on that is to identify the constraints in their business. And I believe that most constraints are tied to a skill deficit. I have seen that. Constraints, like I'm 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 bleeding money here in one of my rehabs, like meaning constraints, things not going well. Correct? Like Correct. one of my things lines aren't going well. So did you lack the skill of foresight? Was it forecasting? Do you lack a financial skill? Did you not mm -hmm. hire somebody correctly? So you don't know how to do people analysis. Mm -hmm. um, so I try to figure out what caused the constraint or the problem and then identify the behavior that led to that. Hmm. That's typically how I would look at it. Now, if I were to say just blanket skills, um, I'm going to go like one level higher because I think that's probably more relevant. I think that there's two fundamental skills that I believe are paramount to be a leader of a business. I would say that one is industriousness, the ability to work hard and work hard on the right things. The second is enthusiasm, which is you know, you see the people who work very hard, but they're tough to be around, right? And I think that in order for you to build a team and have a, a team that wants to work for you, <laughs> enthusiasm is really important, right? Being able to keep a positive attitude when things are, you know, boring at times. I think those are two, like I just, I look, and when I see people, I hire people, when I look at CEOs, like I'm always looking for those two skills. And I can tell you like the best leaders that I've found and the best CEOs have those two. They work incredibly hard and they have a great attitude about the work. Most skills like sales, marketing, customers, those can all be learned. But if you don't have the foundation of those two behaviors, it's really hard to pair anything on top of it and for it to be heard by others 
or respected. I really like what you what you mentioned about looking at the issue, basically doing like reverse engineering. Because most of the time, if if a project, a construction project is not going well, or a syndication, we are not able to stabilize the project, we can point fingers many times on, oh, this is the contractor or the tenants. Oh my gosh, the property manager. But if we reverse engineer, it's all it all started with us, right? And one thing that you say is that make your biggest, you you made hiring one of your biggest strengths. And I think that we are in an era right now that a a pandemic was to to me, from my point of view, was a, a game changer on how people saw their own lives, how the dynamic between uh, employees and employers uh, were happening. It's more like a lifestyle right now. And but w- one thing that you were talking in terms of, we're doing more of virtual Zoom meetings than regular meetings. And you touch base on hiring people that can self-regulate. And you you mentioned just just a few minutes ago about self-regulation as a leader, but also. Talk to us more about that skill set. I think it is a skill set that we, and how can we identify that when we are hiring? Because I think that's crucial in yeah. order for us to uh, identify that during the hiring process. Yeah. And I'll, I'll give you a little qualifier, which is I think that some companies are equipped to hire people who have low self-regulation and teach them. But I speak mostly to people that have smaller businesses and they don't have big corporations with thousands of people and training departments. So therefore, in that context, I think if you have a smaller business and you don't have thousands of people on the team or even hundreds, I do think this is something that it makes more sense to look for than train for. Um, And that's actually why I've made hiring my strength is because if I'm not hiring more than one of every role, then does it make sense for me to become a training expert at every role? Well, no, because I only need one of every, right? Because I'm not a giant business with hundreds of people. So I think it's really identifying, okay, am I is my strategy to bring people in and train them or is it to hire people and find the right people? So I made hiring my strength because of that. Being able to regulate oneself, I believe is a skill that given the breadth of what I am to do as their employer, I don't insert myself in a very personal, like I don't think that it's on me to be teaching them skills of, you know, how do you get out of bed in the morning? You know, how do you motivate yourself? Like those are things that could I teach? Yes, I have content on it. But is that within the scope of what I do as their employer? Probably not. And so I do self-select for people who already show those traits. They know how to be on time to an interview. They know how to dress appropriately to an interview. They understand how to engineer their at-home environment to be one in which it's conducive for work. It makes it easy for them to work from home rather than hard for them to work from home, right? And people who understand how to manage their time and their and set boundaries with their families or their roommates so that they can work from home. Now, the reason I do that is because I don't have a huge team, so I can select for these things. I say that because I just think that for most people, like I actually do have the skill to teach people that kind of those behaviors. Most people don't. And so bringing somebody in who doesn't know how to self-regulate and the person who then hires them also doesn't have the skill of teaching self-regulation, I feel like that is just setting somebody up for failure. And so I say, okay, let's select for people who already know how to self-regulate. 
And let's teach those people the skills of the job rather than greater behavioral skills. You know, I was a consultant for over, I don't know, 15 years helping companies. I was I worked with like a personality assessment. So I was in the conversations a lot about hiring and what you're talking about, self-regulation is a really unique way to, to, to approach it. Because so many times it's almost, it goes beyond values. Because what you're saying, some people might say, oh, what values are they already bringing to the table? What you're saying is beyond that though. It's it's even more personal in a sense, in, in like almost like personal values, aligning with the, with, the, with the company values and what the team is willing to do and not do. Or I'm just curious about that. Like where do values come into the self-regulation piece? Because that's, I don't know, that's what's coming up for me. And I'm curious. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. No, great question. I, I look at self-regulation as table stakes. Like first screening call, we're going to test for self-regulation. Gotcha. Okay. Second call, I'm going to test for values fit. Okay. Values, I think, are Makes an sense. interesting one though, because when we talk about like, what do people value in the workplace? This is a really interesting topic for me because mm-hmm. I've met many people who say, oh, I hate work. Mm-hmm. Now, when they say that they hate work and then therefore they can only work X amount of hours a day because all of their jobs have been so horrible. The only references they have for work are their past jobs. And so it's really interesting because I do think that we have, we have this culture right now of a lot of people saying that they want to work less. They don't want to work so much, but if you liked work, (laughs) then why would you want to stop doing it? And something that's been really interesting for me is I've brought in a few people uh, to my team who have had past experiences where they have said, and I could tell they were very guarded on interviews, right? And I do see people like that. You can change their mind if you create an environment in which people actually enjoy working rather than they don't enjoy working, which sounds ridiculous mm-hmm. to say. It sounds so simple. But I do think that that is something that we're we're up against because so many people have taken advantage of employees, uh, you know, exploited them, undervalued them. Um, and it's like now people are saying like, hey, we want we we ha- want to hold ourselves to higher standards. At the same time, I think that what overcorrects is people say, hey, we want to hold ourselves to higher standards. But then they go to a job where it's completely different than their past few jobs and they actually do enjoy it. And then they're conflicted because they're like, well, I said I was only going to work this amount, but I actually really like working now. And then they're like, but I committed to having kids at home. And then, so I've seen it. It's just really interesting time right now for employees and employers. I mean, fundamentally, I understand there's a lot of places that, you know, they rule employees with threats and punishment. So I understand why people don't want to work. I don't do that. (laughs) So you know, just a disclosure. <laughs> yeah, just, I don't do that. And I think a lot of people still don't do that. I think that's actually one of the advantages of smaller companies is that it's much easier to influence people in a positive manner. When people become huge and they're these giant organizations, they have the ability to use like threats and punishment uh, to basically rule people because they know, hey, I only need to get two years out of this employee. What do I care if they leave in two years? I have 60 people out the door lined up. They'll take this job for 400 grand a year right? We're like small, I would say like founder owned businesses. Like they don't usually run that way. You're trying to close on your next rental. So why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, 
short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm reading this book called uh, The Alliance uh, by Ruth uh, Hoffman. This morning, it was talking just about that, that many companies say, oh, welcome to the family, right? It's like, uh-huh. you're not a family because you cannot say to your daughter, hey, by the way, your table manners are no longer um, elevated, so we got to let you go, right? Yeah. But companies do that all the time. Oh, did unfortunately this isn't go work so we gotta let let you go but what they were saying is that if you think about it and really treat it as a sports team so as a self-agent or or i don't know how is it called when when you're like a football player when you're 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 there for that season but consciously you're there for that season you're consciously investing into the company and really having an agreement with the employer to say, okay, those are my personal goals. This is those are skill sets that I want to acquire here and vice versa. So it made me think that I want to dig more into those conversations with our current team members right now to really fully understand, okay, what is really important to you? What do you want to accomplish? in your life. I could care less what time of the day you work. Many of our uh, folks are in Australia, Austria, and they don't work the same time. And why would I care? I don't care. Do you care? They don't care. So I think that we're, we're really in a shift right now, but I still see a lot of people not complaining. I don't know if they're aware of the, the shift of the dynamic. Well, I am quote unquote giving people a job. So why aren't they just doing their job, right? This kind of like mentality and um, the lifestyle more than ever right now, because I think that people really woke up to what really matters in their lives. It's it's playing a, a role right now. And in, 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 I don't know your your thoughts on that. I think that it goes into like a greater discussion of the people hiring the people. There's a lot of bad people that employ people or like mm-hmm. not bad, but they don't Do you think they're aware? Do you think they're aware? Yeah. And mm-hmm. here's or, or, or uh, they're they're dumb or or bad character for me. But do you yeah, think they're I aware? The word, I use the word bad 
in a general sense, like if your behavior is bad, I'll just label you as bad because like we can say this person's intentions all we want. We have no idea. Sure, sure. Right. So they exhibit, you know, behaviors that were portrayed negatively towards employees. Right. And I think that a lot of the way I see it is, is just a bigger, I, I like to say human first, like I'm not employing people as a means to an end. I genuinely love bringing people close to me. The vehicle of that is the company, right? Close to me, close to learning opportunities, close to, and so it's like through that vehicle, these people can learn, develop, and become better people. And so I think you have to look at what's the mission that is bigger than the job that this person is doing. I think that it's probably going beyond being transactional, right? So I think a lot of companies are very transactional. It's like, well, I'll pay you and you do this job. But what happens is those companies over time continue to raise the minimum standard. They say, you do this job, which means X, Y, and Z. And if you do X, Y, and Z, you get paid X. And then over time, they continue to raise the requirements for what X, Y, and Z are, but they don't raise the pay. And so then what you get is people who are afraid to leave, not who want to stay. And I think that that, a lot of companies don't understand that they're doing that over time, basically due to threat, which is most people just, they're ignorant. They don't know how to get people to change their behavior without threatening them. And so they say, well, listen, Johnny, if you don't get these sales next week, then I'm going to have to let you go. Threat. Now, what have you done? Created another negative association with work because they feel, oh, they'll take away my pay. And, and so I think a lot of the times it comes from ignorance. It comes from thinking that these things work. They work until they don't, you know, it works in the short term. So it's like the, the local effect of threatening somebody is very high. You get them Mm. to comply immediately because they're scared. Uh, The global effect long-term is not good um, because they end up looking for another job, moonlighting, doing whatever, stealing clients, because they feel like you threatened them. Therefore you're an enemy. You're not on your team. And so I think a lot of people tend to, I'll say they're not bad people. Their behaviors are bad because they optimize for short-term, not for long-term. And I think if we're able to take a long-term approach at what it means to employ people, then Mm. right by the people, they do right by the business. We do right by ourselves. We do right by the community. I mean, you can make it a win-win-win. You just have to take a long-term approach. And it it is often goes against what we want to do in the moment because most people in one way, shape or form, when somebody does something that goes against what they wanted, they don't mind yelling at them. You know, it feels kind of good. They feel better after. Layla, it's so funny because I'm listening to a book right now. You're making me think. I'm listening to a book. I know Andressa and I do do different different books we are, we are engaged in. How to how to talk more that your kids listen or how to listen more to your kids okay. or whatever whatever the title is. It's a different one that I was like, I need to listen to something because my nine-year-old- I have that book. <laughs> what she's saying is, is instead of the threats or the convincing or the just listen to me because I'm your mom, she's, she's saying very clearly, listen more. Then, then not. I'm like, well, this is simple advice, you know. Then I stop. I'm like, it's something else you got, but I'm like, it's such profound versus the, you know, hey, if you don't do this, there's like a consequence. So anyway, I love, I love what you're saying because it's so applicable to, 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 to adults and children. I want to transition a moment here too with, with just one quick second before all the women start messaging us for the title of that book. Yeah, that I probably to talk so kids will listen and listen so kids will talk. That's actually not the book, but. But that's okay. You can use that one. It's a different book. book it's a different about. book. It's a different book. Yeah. Oh God. I have um, this book. I read it like five years ago because somebody said if you're going to lead a team, you should actually read this parenting book. And I I have it on my yes. shelf at home. Had it. Well, I this think one it was Simon Sinek that, that said that. 
How to Get Your Kids to Listen to You is what the title of the book I'm listening to is. But anyway. By who? Jennifer Smith. All right, great. Now you guys got all the books. Got that? All right, we can put got them all that. there. But it really made me, because I was listening to it, you sounded just like her t- today about, about kids. So um, Layla, I would be remiss to ask about you know, building businesses with, with your husband, Alex, you know, I I've worked and invested with my husband for many years. And I tell you, I learned something new every day. It doesn't end. So I thought you were going to say how to stop yelling. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I get more, well, I'm listening about the kids. My husband's part of that, you know, um, I'd love to hear from you about, wow. Like what, what have you learned and how have you navigated? Uh, you know, it's, it can't be simple. And so what have you and Alex done to set yourselves up for success and and balancing all the roles and the personal and the professional? I'll start with, I guess, what's more top of mind for me, which is I see a lot of people who work together. And the reason that they end up either not working together in the long term or ending their relationship is because they treat their spouse very much differently than they would treat anybody else they're working with. You know, they talk to their spouse in a way that they would never talk to somebody on their team. Mm. Um, They treat their spouse at home in a way that would never fly if they weren't working together. It's like, it's almost as if because they work with their spouse, they believe that that gives them permission to treat them a different way. Um, And I think that a lot of people believe, even that don't work with their spouses, that because this person is married to me, I can treat them worse and they have to stay. And I think that Alex and I have never had that dynamic because I think both of us know we could both have other options if we wanted. I mean, I've just, I've always felt that way. I'm like, neither of us would have a problem being like, if you treat me like shit, then I'm out. And so I think that's always caused us to hold each other to higher standards, which we both like, because we, there isn't, you know, I think a lot of people, it's like, well, you know, I'm married to this person, even though, you know, (laughs) She beats me when I get home and calls me a piece of shit and all that, you know, we're married. And I'm like, okay, why suddenly being married? Does that mean that this person can treat you a certain way? Why would, why would we treat the person that we've dedicated to be our life partner worse than we treat a stranger? And just something I've observed over time of watching people is that they do. They treat the person who has committed to be their life partner worse than they treat a stranger on the street, worse than they treat an employee at their work, worse than they treat their friends. They treat them worse than anybody because they feel that, oh, this person stuck with me. The shift that I just encourage people to make is to look at it the opposite, which is how can I reinforce every day that this person has made the best decision ever? That like being married to me is the best decision you ever made. And I genuinely look at that like that with every year that goes on being married. I think to myself, how can I, how can I top last year? Because it also helps me grow as a person. You know, all the areas in which I'm deficit, I have deficits in our, you know, business partnership and in our marriage, I look at those as opportunities for me to grow. And I think that we both approached it from that way. And because of that, we're able to speak openly about things. If either of us ever, you know, speak to the other one like ill or in a way that isn't productive or, you know, seems like, hey, you're treating me kind of crappy, either him or I will catch it first and be like, you don't deserve me to to treat you like this. I'm going to take myself on a walk. I think that that, has created a really reinforcing environment for us because both of us are such encouragers for each other. Like constantly, it's like, even if I'm in a bad mood, like I'll even say this morning, I had a tough morning, but Alex launched his book today. It's like, what am I going to do? Act like a B-I-T-C-H, you know? (laughs) No, I'm going to be like, I'm going to make posts and I'm going to promote it. And I'm going to make sure the team has everything 
you know, T's crossed, I's dotted. I'm going to get on there and make sure this whole thing's happening. And I'm going to tell them like, you did such a great job. Like, let's go out to dinner tonight and celebrate. And I think that I just have always approached it like that. And I think that's been what's helped us a lot has just been always figuring out how we can be a source of encouragement for one another, even in the times when we disagree. You know, I think I look at it very much like I'm able to divorce myself from like, how's this going to affect me? That used to be probably the forefront of my mind when we would be making decisions together at work. I've been able to step back from that and say, how can I help him make the best decision for himself, right? From the position he's in and his perspective and and step myself out of the situation and not take it so personally. And I think that's really hard to do, but it's also, in my opinion, one of the only ways that you're able to move forward together is if you're able to like really look at it, like you as someone's spouse and business partner have so much influence over this person. You have to take that seriously. And I think you have to really understand how much influence you have. And so I look at that and I think to myself, I need to learn how to be a great question asker, listener, confidant. And so that when Alex is struggling with something that maybe I am nervous how, you know, what he's feeling about something we're doing, the business will affect me. I have to put that aside and say, okay, be the confidant, be the best person asking questions, be the best person listening to him and his ideas. That in the end helps both of us anyways. If both parties can put the other person's best interest first, then it ultimately the interest of the business or the interest of your marriage, that ends up getting prioritized. So I don't know if that was a ramble, but that's just how I see Ah, things. I think that was a really amazing way to answer that question in in a very unique way, actually, because we always talk about the relationship, but the partner is the two people are in that relationship. So to your point, like, how do you be your best self to each other? Yeah. I don't know what it is, but I, I now I'm thinking about my day. I'm like, oh, I'm short to my husband all day today, you know? And I'm like thinking about it, right? And you're really constantly asking yourself to, especially when you work together, like, how do I be my best self? And I'm like, I got to do a little cleanup with him tonight, you know, or whatever yeah. it might be. But taking that moment to say, how do I show up for that, for that partner, even partner, right? Business partner. How do we, how do we be our best self for that person and for ourselves so that both of us grow and the relationship grows, ultimately the businesses grow. And I, I totally, I love that because I, I have a visual to that and it, it's uh, working on some projects. And I think that makes so much sense uh, for so many women. So that's very yeah. powerful. And I'll just add this one thing, which is I look at it the same way I look at how I work with, it, it's very applicable. It's like, how do you work with employees? I want mm-hmm. them to always feel like, like I'm a positive source of reinforcement for them. And if that works with them, uh, you know, to always be a source of positive reinforcement, then I want to apply that to my relationship as well. And so I think that, you know, a lot of people don't like work because they have negative associations with their boss. Every time they talk to their boss, their boss doesn't listen. Their boss doesn't ask questions. Their boss makes assumptions. Their boss gets down their throat. Their boss is having a bad day, therefore projects onto them. Well, people do that with their business partners slash spouses more than they do it with employees. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I take it like a, I look at both, which is like, okay, I know it works with teams. Those still same things should work with the team at the top, right? And which is like, you want to be that person's strongest source of positive reinforcement because that means they want to stay married to you, not they stay married to you because there's a piece of paper or kids or, or the business, right? But they genuinely want to be there. And the more that we can positively reinforce them with how we respond to them, the more that they actually want to be there versus fear leaving. So powerful. So I have some good cleanup with my husband here. Thank you for encouraging me. <laughs> I love it. That's really cool. 
Layla, where can the ladies listening learn more about you and follow you know, along your, your phenomenal journey that you have? Yeah, if they like podcasts, I have a podcast called Build with Layla Hormozy. So um, that's like my favorite platform. And if they prefer visual, uh, I'm on Instagram, Layla and Hormozy and YouTube, Layla Hormozy, both video. Awesome. All this information you guys can find on our show notes. Now we're going to transition to our fabulous three questions. And the first one is, Layla, what's the most transformational book you ever read? When I was 18, I read Tony Robbins' book, Unleash the Power Within. And that was the book that helped me lose almost 100 pounds. Impressive. Second question. I think I know this one here, which is related to the first one, but let's go with that. Uh, What's the most powerful routine that you do to create a financially free and balanced life and healthy life, whatever balance may see you? Uh, I think walks. Do a lot of walk and talks. I do. I walk and take meetings. I walk and talk to my husband. I walk and talk to the team. I walk and do social media. And I really enjoy doing that. You know, I think some people are like, well, you're not focused multitasking, but (laughs) hey, it works for me. I think that why I said that is that you prioritize and don't budge on your health. Even though you have a busy schedule, you fit that that in there. And I think that having our cup full allow us to show up better for our team, for everybody that we do business with. I think that's that's tremendous. Last question. Which woman, famous or not, has inspired you the most? Never been asked this question. I'll be really honest. Most people that I've studied have been men. I hope that changes. Well, I think we we all we are are working for that to to change, right? Because many many women need to see other women as 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 role models. Yeah, so I, I if I thought about it a little bit more, I think I would come back to it. But it's going to it take me like five minutes. Got it. <laughs> it's all good. He sent us an email, and we can plug this in. No worries, Layla. Thank you so much for being on our show. Thank you for sharing your journey, your wisdom with our community. We really appreciate you being on our show. I appreciate you both having me and I hope it was valuable. Thanks so much. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to receive updates on our next interviews, go to our website, therealestateinvestor.com. There, you can subscribe to our show, become part of our investor community and get updates on upcoming episodes. If you like our show, please share with other women who would benefit. And don't forget to leave us a rating on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. And as always, we encourage you to take one action as a result of today's show and put it into motion so you can live both a financially free and balanced life. Thanks for spending time with us. Ciao.